0: You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of splatterpictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air night here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show gonna to be doing the twenty fifteen Del Toro Instant Christmas classic. Crimson
1: Peak. It is the instant Christmas classic. I'm telling it you. Is. I you know, I'm of two minds and I was gonna pull up like old um Hollywood Reporter variety and what the initial reviews were and then some of the internet response, but we all really we, we must remember. It hasn't been that long, people. Mm uh of people complaining and even Toro himself having to come out and being like guys don't go by what the posters are are selling you don't go by it being sold as a horror film it's not a horror film if you're gonna say oh well it didn't scare me it wasn't meant to fucking scare you it's a it's a love story it's a ghost story it's an old traditional gothic tale at that it's not a horror film like calm the fuck down mm-hmm. um but, you know, it did good at box office. When I look at what the numbers were, it was successful. Yeah. So I have it in my stuck in my head that it wasn't successful, but I know it wasn't as successful as it should have been.
0: I think that when you have critical confusion topped off with budget, and that doesn't necessarily include advertisement, which is you can usually double a budget just from that, it made them money, but it didn't make them a lot of money. It didn't make people as rich as they'd want and that, generally speaking, is the weird space that Del Toro occupies. Even some of his bigger movies don't necessarily make a fuck ton of money. Pacific Rim, his most blockbustery of blockbusters that he's done in recent years, even that film barely eked out a profit. And generally speaking, unless they have a huge commitment to a tentpole franchise, which Pacific Rim not wasn't necessarily supposed to be. I mean, in A Perfect World, yes, but this was something that he hardcore pitched, his mm-hmm. kaiju monster movie that at the time wouldn't have been seen as necessarily profitable. But he got it made, and they wanted it to make... More than what it did. We, uh, this well,
1: everyone, yeah, everyone's hinging on that first week theater box office. Yeah. That it needs to fucking triple your budget.
0: Oh yeah, that, that's just it. And and then that's when sequels get greenlit. And there was a huge question at the time if that film was ever going to get a sequel, right? Or if Del Toro was going to have to go back making smaller, more intimate films. Which, by the way, I am hundred percent comfortable with. I don't. Yeah, right? I don't. I don't need Pacific Rim. I saw Pacific Rim to the trailers for it doesn't seem very interesting to me. But I'll tell you, Crimson Peak was a film that I was very interested in. And I could tell from both the marketing campaign at the time and also Del Toro's reaction on social media emphasizing and re-emphasizing a gothic love story.
1: Yeah, I got it. I understood well before there was any confusion.
0: But this is one of those genre-blending films that marketing people can't stand because they don't know how to market it. Do you... Take every scene with a ghost in it and market it as a horror film to get asses in the seat. Or do you try to market it as a dramatic love story and leave the ghost out of the trailer so it's almost like it's a weird surprise. And, and trailer houses just aren't very good at it. Sometimes people know how to market a film perfectly And this was an instance where they didn't know what they were looking at, even though if you just watch the film, which I'm guaranteed they at least had rough cuts of it. That's the thing that most uh, trailer houses would at least need to make a trailer. You'll have the main character in the first reel of this film tell you what a gothic story is and what the ghosts are. This is a very remedial reading level to people who don't know what a gothic story is.
1: And through the whole film that he leads your hand. And it's it's handy for people who have no idea who Shirley Jackson is. Because mm-hmm. you could market this very easily from the get-go by saying, Hey, remember Shirley Jackson? Inject <laughs> Jack sex. There you go. Yeah. Come. I'm yeah, in. I'm yeah, sold. Forever. Yeah. You know. But now, thank you, Del Toro, because now we can say, Hey, this film is like Crimson Peak, and there's half your work done for you. So, thank you for that. Unfortunately, it did, get, it did get really confused, and never once did he say you're in for a horror thrill ride in Buckets of Blood. No. Although you kind of get a horror thrill ride in Buckets of Blood.
0: I think that th- the horror fan in me watches this film and is completely satisfied oh, completely. with the horror elements. It's got ghosts. It has got... It's moth. got
1: mystery. It's, it's, it's got,
0: got moths. It's got moths. <laughs> it's, it's
1: got moths. That's all you need is moths.
0: And dead insects. It's got harbingers of... Death and, and, and crossing over. You got dead flies and moths. And you got picturesque, gothic architecture. So you got
1: your Hammer Horror. You got your American Psycho. That's the thing. You got your Signs of the Lambs. You got all kinds of stuff
0: going on. Yeah. And, and then you got just a balls-to-the-wall fight at the end with
1: more blood than you could ever want. Yeah.
0: It's great.
1: Yeah. Balls-to-the-wall. Yeah. Um. Speaking of balls to the wall, but nothing to do with balls to the wall, <laughs> Postmortem is our new segment where we're going to talk about things that we left out of the last episode, things that are coming up, because uh, we do do some pluggery, but not as much as we ought to. And a lot of times I'm stuck in the mindset of our show is post-dated, so we don't talk about things that we have coming up as often as we should. Mm-hmm. We do do a lot more than, than what makes it onto the show, but... That said, it is an evergreen thing, and the internet is an evergreen thing, and the things that we've done are, are pretty evergreen and ongoing, so why not, right? And there's always, and the reason why it's called postmortem is there's things that we forget to talk about in our previous episodes, and it seems a shame for those things to just like die on the cutting room floor or be remembered while we're editing, because both of us have a hand in editing this show. I do a bulk edit, West is a fine edit, and puts in all of the interesting sound bits Mm -hmm. the actual production (laughs) (laughs)
0: but now you you have shaved off so much of my week used to be dedicated to doing the bulk editing i used to do all the editing by myself not because lydia wouldn't do it or can't do it it's because i promised her i wouldn't make her
1: i've I've edited uh what two shows in their entirety yeah go and try and guess which ones they are
0: i guarantee you will not be able to to discern it is because your editing is flawless
1: And your editing is flawless. High five. High
0: five.
1: So that said, we both have a hand in editing. We both have a hand in listening. We both listen to our own shows a couple times. And without fail, every time we remember shit we meant to say. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes as soon as I hit stop, we remember shit we meant to say. Mm-hmm. And we very rarely, I think only maybe twice in this show we've hit record afterward and plugged in a little thing we we meant to say, yeah, or yeah. recorded an addendum um, yeah. after the fact. Mm-hmm. It's rare. So why why waste all that kind of time? The postmortem this week is regarding our last show, The Cell, I really neglected, some points that are very important to me and very intrinsic to me as a human being, because I've had many arguments and conversations in my life defending people with mental illness. And I don't think I really shook that tree hard enough to point out that schizophrenia does not kill people. People kill people. Mm-hmm. Um I wasn't. I didn't even go on about serial killers the way that I ought to, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, we even missed some parts where we couldn't remember the name of a specific serial killer, so we we missed a lot of stuff in the last one. But number one thing that has rung in my head the past two weeks is n- not really talking about how one in ten people do have a mental illness. One in ten of those people have schizophrenia. Very, very rarely are violent crimes committed by people with schizophrenia. So I had the same problem with there's a, another movie called Apartment 1403 or something like that that at the very end it all comes down to no, there was no ghost. this girl just has schizophrenia at the end. Mm-hmm. Like no, she wasn't haunted, no, she wasn't driven to kill her. No, she wasn't protecting herself. She was just crazy. that's why she called a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I really hope that no one came out of the cell ever out in the history of people watching The Cell thinking that schizophrenics are dangerous people.
0: I think that the period of time in which that film was made and also, you know, not to harp on writers, but sometimes when you're a writer and you don't truly understand something to the degree that you think that you should, you have this idea for an entire story about going inside people's minds and the minds of a killer and what would that be like. You need to have... You, you throw out schizophrenia as this sort of catch-all term not really understanding the levels of schizophrenia that somebody can have the fact that there's many schizophrenics living Uh, completely normal lives that either take medication or their schizophrenia is is not dangerous.
1: Yeah, completely Um, functionable, and it's just another aspect, no more different than somebody having bipolar disorder, which is very common.
0: And and even the term uh, mental illness, which at, at first was used a lot on the internet, to sort of excuse away, you know, we need to look into mental illness. We need to do this. We need to do that. Especially when something like spree killing happens and uh, mass shootings happen, et cetera, et cetera. Now the the narrative has sort of flipped a little bit to talk about like problems in society as opposed to just saying, oh, it's just mental illness. When not everyone that is committing these crimes necessarily has a mental illness, uh, and 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 by painting the with a wide brush term of mental illness, you could be vilifying people that suffer from mental illness, but are not in any way, shape or form dangerous, nor will they ever be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely think that in the case of The Cell, it, it it was just, you know, it's so funny to say, you know, at the time when th- this movie at 17 years old is long enough, but it's not that long ago. Mm-hmm. But but especially in 2000, yeah, schizophrenia, that works. And th- that would have been on to the next Thing in the script,
1: yeah. Right? Where I, in a way, even though it hasn't been that long, you couldn't really get away with that now. Mm-hmm. And if somebody did have a, a horror film where it was all painted away with it being schizophrenia, mm-hmm. or that's the name number one flaw of the mm-hmm. main character or the antagonist, then people would be up in arms. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, luckily, they made up a form of schizophrenia. Yeah. (laughs) So that sort of gives them a tiny bit of a pass, I suppose, creatively anyway. But at the end of the day, not many people are going to look up that or understand that that's a made-up form of schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. They're just going to hear schizophrenia and Mm -hmm. be like, oh, killers are schizophrenic. Schizophrenics Mm -hmm. are killers. No, not at Mm -hmm. all. Not at all.
0: So Sometimes you also think that a lot of words that get put into scripts are there for executives. So an executive reading your thing who is a gatekeeper to see if your movie gets made or not. You you put schizophrenia in there and then the person who generally speaking represents the general public. They might not necessarily have any interest in abnormal psychology. They want to see something that they can instantly recognize and yep, just nod the head. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And so you put schizophrenia in there and that is a word that this person could just instantly understand. Because if you tried to say something else Or if you left it out, for example, if you just said that this dude was a killer and he was a serial killer, and if you don't have a serious interest in abnormal psychology, your first question would just be, well, why is he doing this? Why is he killing all of these people? When the question of why, even with serial killers that have been caught and you have extensive conversations with them, it's still not entirely clear because they describe it in this weird way where it's an urge or an addiction or the dark passenger the, the dark, pa- the dark <laughs> passenger in the case of the cell right mm-hmm. um yeah so anyway that that that's pretty much what i have to say like, i agree with you like yeah. i totally agree with you
1: yeah i feel badly that I'd, I'd miss that and and anyone that knows me in real life would know that i would have naturally quite naturally harped on that for a couple hours i've, I've made a fool of myself several times i'm well, not a fool of myself but like being a loud mouth about it several mm-hmm. times um mm-hmm. to the point of telling one of my journalist cohorts in school that he would have made a terrible psychologist <laughs> when he was blaming vince lee's schizophrenia for the beheading of tim mclean on the greyhound bus mm-hmm. where it's you know, I, I, I'm tempted to say it's nothing to do with the schizophrenia, even though it's everything to do with the schizophrenia, but that's a perfect storm. That's nothing to do with other people with schizophrenia. And that was a, a very singular case. Mm-hmm. There was a Daniel Maxwell that uh, decapitated, I believe, both of his parents mm-hmm. here in Ottawa, and it was definitely his schizophrenia, yes. But those are some very, very rare cases. of. A- yeah, it's it's almost
0: in the sense that Flying is still considered the safest way to travel. But when those planes go down, it is hugely devastating. And it's all over the news. And you could think that flying is less safe than it is because of the news coverage on it. Listen, you have somebody sitting on a Greyhound bus with somebody else. They decapitate that person. Uh, That is going to be a big story. And so when you find out that this person has schizophrenia... That becomes the headline.
1: Exactly. And it gets lost in the translation there that, no, schizophrenia isn't dangerous. Knowing schizophrenics isn't dangerous. Having schizophrenics in your community is not dangerous. Greyhound buses, though, that is the real scourge. Mm-hmm. That is the thing you should avoid. Mm-hmm. You know, And I've said in an earlier conversation that will come up later, being alive on planet Earth is a high-risk activity,
0: period. <laughs> so what I tell parents to tell me to stop swearing in front of their kids. Say, hey, man. Life is R-rated.
1: Life is R-rated. You know what? It wasn't R-rated. Hmm. Although I was hoping it would have been your appearance on the shop cast. <laughs>
0: uh, when I had sat down with him, part of the part of my initial sit down with him was in before they they do that thing where they catch a candid moment, and that was the dank basement conversation I had before the intro. But if you stuck, if he'd stuck with the recording a little bit more, one of the questions I asked him after I sat down was Am I allowed to swear? I know enough about radio and the different formats of podcasts. You and I can swear because you and I swear. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. We got that explicit tag on iTunes for a reason. Yeah. It's not just because.
1: That was proactive shit right there. <laughs> yeah. I
0: knew what you were in for. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't just. Because we got all those glossy JPEGs of my balls sitting around waiting to be sold. And not all
1: the corpse fucking that me and Chris talk about on buying Torture Cast when I visit there.
0: Exactly. The corpse fucking bleeds into this show, too. Much like corpses do once you fuck them. Yeah. But I think that... Uh, so, he said no. And I understand it's a podcast that is attached to a business. And the business has uh, kind of a family atmosphere, an inclusive atmosphere, etc. And so, it was fine. However... Trying to not swear is very challenging for me. I could do it. I did radio long enough that, and I let him know. He he said, "Oh, don't worry. If you, he he's like, I think I've said ass on this show, and I think I might have gotten away with a shit here and there. But he but he's like, if you start dropping f bombs, you know, I'll let you know that you're gonna have to. We're gonna have to cut that. So I told him, don't worry about it. You don't need to to babysit me. I can turn it off. It's just. You think I pause. You think I have pregnant pauses when I'm speaking normally, when I'm trying to not cuss. I
1: I I can't imagine. I can't imagine. And I mean, especially when you get talking about something you're very comfortable with or passionate about, Mm -hmm. you're going to let those F-bombs fly.
0: Yeah. It's just how I talk. Yeah. And I don't mean anything by it. It's just I I grew up in a household where my, my parents swore. Everyone swore. So to me, it doesn't have the same, when people are offended by curses, I just, I don't understand because they're, it's, you know.
1: Yeah. I try to not uh, swear professionally, but it does happen once in a while. I've heard yeah. a, in every professional atmosphere I've uh-huh. ever worked in, and some of them highly professional, Yeah, Um, people just fucking swear. So, you yeah. know, I get it though with the ShopCast. I've I've only listened to one or two of the ShopCast. The uh, production value is just not where I need it to be for it to not be... Uh, annoying like uh, their newer episodes are a lot better but Mm -hmm. when they first started recording oh my and it was just too echoey where they were recording Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. too many people in one room and too much overlapping and and Uh, highs and lows it's Mm -hmm. gotten a hell of a lot better though so it was very nice to revisit the shopcast which was a a podcast that i'd abandoned for a very long time so it was awesome i didn't i would have gone back to it if they were talking to someone else i know too or a topic that i'm very dear with um if they had a whole show on the dc house of horror comic Mm -hmm. that would be cool i would listen to that but i was was i'd come back for that yeah it was nice to revisit uh that show
0: uh, it was a really, really, really fun time. I tried to keep, cause he, I, I think the problem with me and I apologized after after the fact, I, I said, I wasn't aware that you were gonna ask me some fairly open-ended questions. So I tend to talk a lot anyways, even when I have focused questions because one thing makes me think of something else and I get into a story because I always feel to tell the tale properly, you need as much information as possible. So something about why horror becomes a very big question to me. <laughs>
1: Which is awesome, because if somebody wants to listen to the cast and hear about horror and they're worried that it's going to be all about comic books, don't you fret, to use a <laughs> Wes term. it's a, It has a lot about the horror and the horror in comic books and Wes's horror creativity as it has to do with hor- comic books and horror and the history of horror as it were so mm, mm. uh i think it's a really well-rounded show
0: yeah yeah it was fun to do it was, it was really fun to do i said that they can they can bring me back anytime that they want to talk about something if they got more horror stuff i don't know because i was i was also surprised I was like man they didn't ask me for to cherry pick any titles because i was thinking that, that was definitely coming but they definitely answered or he answered asked me some questions that i was kind of expecting um, some things not so much. Some, ironically, s- somebody asking me what my uh, writing style is is never. I didn't occur to me for a fucking second that anyone was going to ask me what that what that is because I I just don't know.
1: Yeah, it's nice to be prepared for an interview, isn't it? So yeah, um, if anyone's interested, go and check out the shopcast. Yeah,
0: shopcast. It's like shop spelled old timey, so S H O P P E cast, and uh, I think mine was episode 107.
1: Cool, okay. Yeah. Uh, and go back and listen to our last episode for The Cell if you haven't. Uh, I think Thomas, our listener Thomas, our darling listener Thomas, had yeah. a good time with that, which is cool to see someone being able to like listen to our show and, and revisit a film and, mm-hmm. and find that much more joy in it again. I
0: love That's to hear cool. that. When, yeah. uh, when, when fans who are listening to our show tell us, hey, I went back and watched this movie so I could get ready to watch or to listen to your podcast, that's a great feeling to me because that's really what I want. I want people to go back and watch The Cell and maybe appraise it a little bit differently than when it was in the moment. As opposed, You know, so much things bombard us constantly. Mm -hmm. Crimson Peak is a movie that I think deserves a look back. And every time that you talk about Crimson Peak, people who have seen it oh, I love that movie. Oh, isn't that a beautiful movie? Oh, that movie's incredible. But there's a lot of people that still haven't watched it.
1: Exactly, and we're not like really good at just saying the same things that everyone else says and agreeing with everything everyone else says. So sometimes we can make someone view a movie in, in a different light, which mm-hmm. is not just the, not the point of our show by any means. The point of our show is for us to go blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, at the microphone. Um, But it's fucking nice when people Mm -hmm. go back to a movie that they might have passed over or, you know, just went along with what other people were saying when they watched it and Mm -hmm. tainted it. So we'll untaint it, retaint it. I don't know what we're doing. But uh, that's I love about Bind Torture Cast when I listen to their shows about films I've already seen or films that I haven't seen that other people are painting in a strange light. Um, I like going back and watching films or watching films in preparation for the show and their wrap-up episodes coming up soon, which is awesome because it always serves to remind me that this last year didn't suck for horror. (laughs) Well, you forgot, first of
0: all, you forgot to put their
1: Mad Magazine spin
0: on (laughs) wrap-up.
1: crap up it's a crap, crap up I like the last episode Chris said crap up about 7,000 times and it made me very happy <laughs> the crap up
0: it's pretty funny it's pretty funny yeah but their episode is going to be they, they do a wrap up every year mm-hmm. and, and they'll talk about the films that they specifically saw or is it anything in the calendar year
1: normally it's arranged to do with like um, worst and most disappointing and the best right mm-hmm. uh, and they do tend to mention a hell of a lot of other films just like any other conversation you know and Mm -hmm. that's one thing i like the most about that show not only because my husband is a creator and host Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: (laughs) i do (laughs) enjoy and have since the first time i discovered that show that sort of you know loose production where many things can be mentioned and it's not uncommon for me to try and remember when they mention something on what episode in what context but not be able to keep it straight because they might mention 20 fucking films if not 200 fucking films when it comes to a wrap-up episode right it's just my luck that chris keeps copious notes and we both have pretty good memories that if i need to re-listen to something i can usually find it Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always look forward to a wrap-up episode, more so than any other show, because most of them are just some dumb-ass excuse for Christmassy stuff. Like, Not that we're doing Christmassy stuff, we're doing wintery stuff. We are but... doing wintery stuff, until we get to the
0: Christmassy stuff. But I'll have you know, listeners, it's only because Lydia likes me that we do the Christmas episodes. Yeah. Because she would probably – she's not a Grinch, but, you know, doesn't like convention – Shuns in the face of it, but it's all good because I am a pretty princess and I get my way when I fucking make a fuss.
1: He is a pretty princess. That is very <laughs> true. Um, I have one more point. Is there anything else you want to mention in post-mortem pre wrap? That's up? it. That's yeah. it for me, man. I know we're killing a half an hour, but uh, I was going to mention this anyway, but it became something very uh, in the forefront of my mind today more so than anything. And I know that our shows are post-dated, this might all change, but uh, I was going to mention, you might have seen my Twitter be very full of the death of my friend sister Tess Ritchie. So there is a lot of news. I'm not just um, talking about true crime in the way that I normally talk about true crime. Anyone that knows me or has paid attention to my Twitter knows that that's certainly not the case. It is a friend's sister and it's extremely tragic. Um, The news just last night painted her as someone who's involved within the sex trade, which is not true. And whether she has any link to any sort of thing that someone would call the sex trade, that has nothing to do with Mm -hmm. the fact that she was killed. Up until last night, many people thought it was death by misadventure, and it was the end of the story in a way, and her family was free to grieve, and now they have a lot of different media attention that no one needs, and I don't wish on anyone, let alone the loss of a loved one. I don't Mm -hmm. wish on anyone, specifically not people from my hometown. Um, so if you happen to see a lot of this news on Tess Ritchie, or if you're, if you, you know, you could be from Ontario, you could be from Toronto or North Bay listening to this show and you're seeing a lot of conflicting news reports, hold off on that retweet button. Uh, definitely read the articles like, Mm -hmm. and this goes for anything, not just something Mm -hmm. that touches me personally or touches people we know, no, hold off on that fucking retweet button and take a look at what the sources are. Uh, there's a little work to be done as far as not entirely redacting what news is out there, although some of it is 100% erroneous. But if uh, a source isn't named, you have to question it. And that was the first thing that I questioned upon reading news last night at midnight, when they say a source. And I know that Rachel, her sister, is a journalism student and is no stranger to media, is no stranger to social media. Mm-hmm. You may have met Rachel at a convention. She is the girl that was responsible for bringing out hardcover books of old 50s, Canadian 50s comics. Like uh, Mr. Monster, I think, is the one that's most recent that she's working mm-hmm. on. Johnny Canuck. Yeah, Johnny Canuck, yeah. Yeah. And Nelvana of the Northern Lights, which is the flagship of that project. Um, no stranger to media, no stranger to journalism. Yet has to work doubly hard at a time of grieving to reel back a lot of public opinion. And people are, you know, enjoying the sensationalism of the word sex trade. And the way I see it, a barista at Starbucks is a sex trade worker in the wrong light. (laughs) So calm down. Um, Let people grieve. And rest in peace to Tass Ritchie. Yeah. It's extremely tragic news.
0: It is. It's it's very sad. And I think that, you know, you really hit the nail on the head about allowing a family to grieve. And most importantly, whether or not someone is involved in the sex trade or someone is a gang member, someone is known to police. These are words that are put into articles so people can sit back and say, well, there you have it. See? Mm-hmm tragic life surrounded by bad people and now they're dead Mm -mm -mm, shouldn't have happened it is incredibly reductive to boil a person's life down to decisions that they made uh willing or against their will there's all kinds of uh shades of gray that are involved in people getting involved in the sex work uh, trade worker which by the way as far as uh, the people closest to her are, are concerned, is not accurate. And uh, and, and adv- again, what you were saying about hold off on that retweet button, please, for the love of God, read articles, think critically. The biggest fucking problem in our society today is that people do not think critically. They, they It comes from a news source. You just say a source... And then that's good enough for people, which is fucking tragic to me. It is sad. So again, like that's how come, you know, yes, it's a bummer to talk about this kind of stuff, but fuck life's a bummer. And I think that if we're going to set the record straight anywhere, it's going to be here because we have a microphone and we have an outlet. And if it doesn't start here with our show, then where is it going to start?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we were up against people armed with retweet buttons and asshole concepts like yeah. uh, this screaming <clears throat> Mimi, not in my backyard, kind of sit back, arms folded, reductive thinking. Mm-hmm. Where before any of this other news was coming out, people were sa- having things to say about someone being out at three in the morning. That's the thing, right? Well, you know, the the child in me wants to say, well, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know. It's really close-minded thinking, really and it,
0: generally speaking, comes from people that have just lived very sage lives mm-hmm. that can't imagine why would someone run away from home. They must have been a bad kid. Uh, well, maybe they had bad parents, everything about, about that. Maybe people don't go home because the, they would rather sleep on the street because the alternative is fucking horrible. You don't know that.
1: or maybe everything around them was perfectly fine and they're a perfectly fine person, and yeah. they' not bringing as perfect, but there was something else out in the world that enticed them.
0: Yeah, so there, there's a million different ways that the reasons for everything that happened, but at the end of the day, uh, a, a young woman with her whole life ahead of her was killed. And that is the story, not what she did or did not do. Because in a weird way, you're almost like, well, she deserved it then, right? Is that what you mean by saying a uh, sex uh, trade worker, Yeah. then her name? That's the fucked up thing.
1: I see some responses to these things, too. Um, as much as I'd say, hold off on the retweet button, hold off on your response. Just hold the yeah. fuck off. You know what news you you know if you don't know the family And you didn't know her. The news you really have to trust are police reports, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of information contained therein. But that is really the facts as we know them, as what's contained in the Toronto police reports.
0: And even though we live in this 24 news cycle world and next week it'll be something else, maybe tomorrow it'll be something else, maybe the United States government will shit the bed again. I just think that, like, at the end of the day, this woman, you know, has got her name, her family's still around, she's got a legacy, and it's all about setting the record straight. So it starts here.
1: There's a Facebook group called Find Tess Ritchie. Um, they have information posted there, and that's probably the best news source if you're looking for one. Uh, but there's also information on how to support the Ritchie family, yeah. especially when they have um, family members and sisters coming from overseas or need somewhere to stay or... Um, I just hope that they're eating food and sleeping well. That's my yeah. biggest wish. So Me if you too. want to help support that, check out the find Tess Ritchie book or group on Facebook, which it feels so garbagey to be saying. Go to Facebook to help these people I I, I know and social media
0: assistants. has social media is a toxic place but it can also be a good place. We yeah. can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater just because there's very unfortunate aspects about information traveling at the speed of stupid
1: yeah that's true anyway so we don't travel at the speed of stupid although <laughs> we do travel at, at a slower more cold speed right now because it is getting wintry oh yeah oh <clears throat> my i'm already fucking freezing and i turned the heat off for this show so it's like pain for me yeah um we are doing some Christmassy, feeling wintry shows here, starting we with are. this Crimson Peak, which is the new Christmas Carol. As far as I it
0: is know, the right? new Christmas Carol, you might be saying to yourself,
1: "What are you? Christmas
0: movie? Come on, Wes. Is it because there's winter in it? No, it's because it's a ghost story. One of the most tragic losses of Christmas. You see, Christmas is kind of a weird holiday that it's almost like Halloween. We think of it now as this huge." commercialized juggernaut that it is and it is but christmas was not something that was really celebrated in england for a huge chunk of times during the industrial revolution england just kind of stopped celebrating christmas now there is christmas like cultural events all over the world that we can enjoy and and, and pull from and, and there's a lot of like paganism in it which i love love mm-hmm. that pagan shit but one christmas tradition that wasn't that has been lost is telling ghost stories at Christmas Eve.
1: Which I just love this idea because there's nothing, you know, nothing says ghost story like fire, right? Right. And you got a campfire ghost stories. That's what most people think Mm -hmm. of. But... Christmas to me is like, because I fucking don't like the cold. Mm-hmm. I but I do like the cozy. Mm-hmm. I like the fire and the warmth and the mm-hmm. candlelight and the hot mug of something. Yeah, and like chicken broth, hot mug mm-hmm. of tea, hot mug of coca. I don't care what it is, but it's a hot mug being cozy, fire. Very similar to that hot mug cozy fire campfire story. So this just fits for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, and there are hallmarks of this old tradition still in the world today so for example the andy williams song uh, most wonderful time of the year there is a line about telling scary ghost stories and tales of old glories from christmases long long ago and then of course the most famous christmas story for us is charles dickens story which by the way helped keep a lot of old Christmas traditions in people's minds, thanks to the widespreadness of that particular story, some things might have been lost. Because like I said, you know the UK wasn't really doing the Christmas thing for a long time. And so now we don't really think about the fact that it's a ghost story. Why, why of all things, are spirits telling Ebenezer Scrooge to live a better life? It's a gothic ghost story in the tradition of Christmas. And the most famous story of all, and no one thinks about that. And and now Christmas traditions are not let's all gather around and try to scare the shit out of each other <laughs> with ghost stories. No,
1: it's let's trade fucking gift cards.
0: Yeah, and you think about the long nights, the how eerily quiet it is, how you can hear the wind so much. Christmas is the best time for a ghost story. Mm -hmm. And that's what Del Toro was bringing to us. That's what he said about the release of the film. The the film was released uh, before Christmas, and it was a traditional gothic love story. And if you want to just say, well, it's a ghost story, character Edith will tell you, no, it's a love story with ghosts in it.
1: Yeah, it is a love story (laughs) with ghosts in it, and ghosts are a metaphor.
0: A metaphor for the past.
1: See what we did there?
0: We <laughs> regurgitated lines that are in the script to tell you what a gothic story is. And I and if anyone's listening to this and, and saying, look, Wes, lids, I know what a gothic story is. Great. And I'm glad you do. Welcome to our show. We're talking about the social other. You know the one.
1: Yeah. Them.
0: <laughs> them. <laughs> Not big radioactive ants big radioactive dum-dums
1: who tainted the fucking reception of this film
0: yeah and so you this film occupies a space of not really that successful and i don't like that because this i man when you see someone try so hard and del toro by all accounts is a fucking teddy bear everyone loves this dude he's really smart if you listen to him in uh interviews. His um exhibit is in Toronto right now. Yeah, Gallery of
1: Ontario, yeah. And everyone's living the shit out of it and rightly so. Yeah.
0: So like this is a really cool guy that really likes to make movies that are important to him and that's what I like about it. He like he's not always trying to do the most commercial thing. He's trying to tell stories about stuff that he likes. And that's where he and I Like bosom buddies as creators. Because I just like, I I never really think about the marketability of the things that I want to make. I always just think about what is interesting to me, what makes me excited. And I hope that when I make something, people will dig it because I like it and I can't be the only one that likes this type of stuff. And I'm usually not. And this is the same type of thing.
1: And the other side of that coin is when you're making something from the heart and passionately, it has this kind of effect where people just sit down and, and, try and understand it and, and sit down and shut up and enjoy it you know what I mean like when someone puts on Crimson Peak I have this reaction to very few films I wish I had this reaction to more it just turns off so much in my brain and I'm sold and I am there and I'm I notice every nuance and I am in there for every minute and every shade of red or green or gold is just dazzling to my eyes Every note of every bit of the soundtrack is dazzling to my ears. I, I'm dazzled by this and I love this fucking movie. So you can tell that it's created and made with so much heart because it definitely touches mine. Mm-hmm. I have one. You do, you honestly, do, you do. I do. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well what is this movie even about anyways, Lydia?
1: How the moths eat the butterflies, unfortunately. Oh. And ants and house flies and all the other creepy crawly bugs. There's a lot of bugs in this. It's really, it's about the bugs. More than anything. Yeah, it is really about the bugs more than anything. It's, uh like we said, it's a yeah. ghost story with love in it. Yeah. More like it. It's <laughs> monstrous. It's wonderful. The horror was for love is one of the lines in this film. Not the most famous line, but my favorite line anyway. Mm-hmm. It is about this horrible witch who has enslaved her brother. (laughs) Um, It's it's a ghost story with love in it. I like that. I like that.
0: I think that the first thing that you will get when you see this opening shot of this movie is you get ghosts right off the bat. You get the mother ghost and And this is one of the classic tools of gothic storytelling, is when you have someone from the dead give you a warning for the future.
1: It's kind of a a spoiler, too, if you've seen this movie once already. There's little things like seeing the sink still sets me on edge Mm. because of such a tragic death connected to that sink, but it's not for a while later. Mm -hmm. Seeing someone in a bathtub, I get kind of heebie-jeebies, you know, Mm -hmm. At the very beginning, when she says, beware of Crimson Peak, I'm like, oh, I got the heebie-jeebies. Even though the first time you watch this, you know that it's called Crimson Peak. And you get an idea that this house would be called Crimson Peak because of the red mud oozing up between the floorboards. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is kind of a spoiler. Because right away, she's told to beware of Crimson Peak Mm -hmm. by her dead mother. One of the coolest ghosts ever.
0: It's true, yeah. I've seen people cosplay as this ghost a lot. It's really cool
1: when Which you Which is see crazy, because like, of all the ghosts, she's the most minimal ghost. Mm-hmm. She is Doug Jones, by yeah. the by. Um, there's two body actors that are very, very famous that both come together in this. Film. Doug Jones and Javier Boutet, Uh two of the most famous body mm-hmm. actors. Doug Jones has been everyone that looks fucking cool in every movie ever. Mm-hmm. Javier Botet is the next in line mm-hmm. as far as Everyone you've ever seen in a fucking horror movie mm-hmm. that looks cool.
0: Well, Del Toro adores Doug Jones. Uses him in nearly every one of his
1: pictures. Basically, yeah, he's used a lot of Ron Perlman too. Yeah. But uh, Doug Jones is probably in every single film. Mm. If
0: there is, if there is a full body creature, so you're talking everything from the Hellboy movies to Pan's Labyrinth to this.
1: Um, I have a little crush on Abe Sapien.
0: Abe I Sapien's so. very good. He's in uh, Del Toro's new flick, Shape of Water. Yeah. He's he's Abe Sapien, basically. Well, different character, but
1: some people may have crushes on xenomorphs. Um, there you go. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't know if if Chris. Maybe I wouldn't classify it as a crush necessarily, but maybe it is. Maybe it is. He's the only person I know that that really gets into xenomorphs the same way that some people do. But Javier Bautet, um, was one of the actors that they had, a guy in a suit for Alien Covenant. He was also in Mama.
0: Yeah, Mama. Mm-hmm. Which is surprising to me, not because I would have bet $100 that every shot of Mama was CGI.
1: Which is nuts. There's people that would not know these things, not look at cast, not read things about these particular actors who would look at Crimson Peak and assume that that's all CG as well. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen Mama, and I need to, but I have seen It, the new Stephen King's It film, Mm -hmm. and Javier Bautet plays the leper, which is the singular most terrifying moment in a lot of people's eyes, right?
0: Oh, that that dude is grotesque. Yeah. Just give every disease he's got
1: every disease (laughs) (laughs) pretty much and i love it yeah it's wonderful these two guys in the same film though brilliant and i love the ghosts in this movie these Mm -hmm. are from the time i knew what a ghost was to now this is what i want ghosts to look like there's Mm -hmm. apparently a ghost here i i hope that he looks like this you know ever
0: since you told me that story and by the way creeps it was a story about how there's a ghost that is at the bottom of your stairs basically a
1: man (laughs) that just generally hangs out there
0: and every single time since that story i always look at the bottom of that staircase and i don't see anything but it, it just it's captured my imagination
1: out of the corner of my eye i've always always thought there was someone standing there but it never dawned on me like how often i think of somebody standing there until it was mentioned by chris that he keeps he kept seeing someone standing there um an old roommate when i posited this to her said like are you crazy of course there's always been that house is fucking crazy haunted lydia how could you not tell (laughs) what the hell Mm -hmm. Mm, it just never dawned on me maybe i just live when you live that close to ghosts and i have all my life lived in haunted houses of one form or another you just get used to it i guess I guess, yeah. I would not get used to these ghosts. These ghosts are very active, we shall say. And colorful. Yeah. That most color is red, but, I mean, you can I be lo- colorful in one color. I love these
0: color-coded ghosts. You got a black one, you got a red one, you got a chalky yellowish one later, and another black one.
1: Color-coded ghosts, pretty it, much. Yeah, really. hmm mm-hmm.
0: These color-coded ghosts, you know, the, the, the black ones are omens, the red ones are... Tragedy, violent death. And also you could associate it with the clay that a lot of them were likely buried in. Yeah. So it's a good, not a bad way to get rid of a body. Just it's put... sort of
1: like the clay was the reason they died,
0: mm-hmm. maybe. So it's like their spirit is infected with it. And then you got a sad ghost at the end. Aww. Just a big old sad sack.
1: Yeah. Sort of, sort of yellowy.
0: So we're introduced to the character of Edith. And what I like about this character is that she is the classic motif of very beautiful but they try to dorky her up a little bit with some reading glasses and she's kind of a homebody and she 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 is a, like an internet nerd of like 1917
1: yeah they joke about her being their own jane austen and she says i'd rather be Mary shelley which it's cute you know and that's sort of her in a nutshell i like how you pointed out that her glasses aren't just a prop
0: yeah, and I, I was talking about how the fact that it, it sometimes, especially movies in the 90s, it was here are action stars that are just wearing glasses in one scene. To sh- they're smart. Yeah. It's thinky time, so I need glasses. Here's the
1: library scene. I better put on my glasses. Okay, yeah. Now I'll take them off and be sexy again.
0: Even though Edith clearly does need her glasses, like they, uh, they are reading glasses predominantly, it seems like, but she's a woman that reads a lot and then doesn't instantaneously Take them off when she's done reading, especially if she's got something else on her mind. She Let her will... hair
1: down, the sexy librarian, the guitar riff in the background. And oh my God, yeah. Hot for teacher. I
0: was just going to say hot for teacher. Yeah. Yeah. When her when her hair is up, it seems very controlled. But when it's down, you just think, "Wow, she's got a lot of hair."
1: <laughs> you don't. Th- I don't think she's any sexier with it up or down. But yeah, when it's down, and you can't believe it all fit in that bun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like her character a hell of a lot, and I like her relationship with her father too, mm-hmm. because he seems to be the least stuffy of the two of them. <laughs> he is. He, it's,
0: it's very. <laughs> it, it's it's very much a relationship where. There, the the mother is dead. It's just the two of them. They don't have a strained relationship. They didn't beeline for the cliche of. He wants his daughter to, I don't know, he's trying to control his daughter's life, et cetera. He clearly loves his daughter a lot, but he is not irrationally protective of her, nor is she irrationally disobedient of him. She's just a quiet woman. She's mm-hmm. a quiet woman that likes to stay home and read. She's not really interested in parties. You can tell that her station socially is not that high, not because she doesn't have the the pedigree but because she has no interest in social niceties you know you got that one scene with all these women sort of coming down the staircase cluck 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 with their with their oh my goodness a baron and she has a very scathing critique about that this is a slave owner you're all admiring someone that does nothing while other people do everything for him you know, silk and fop. You should not call them
1: silk and fop, but she practically did. But practically. But she's also, she gets it, too. At that day and age, what she's up against as far as being a female in a in really a man's world, um, she has a story that she's written, this mm. love story with ghosts in it, mm-hmm. um, with a ghost or a metaphor for the past. Just <laughs> paraphrase. She's written it up, and she realizes that her handwriting is really the number one thing that's going to be the tell that she's a female author. This is a time when popularly female authors were using pseudonyms to be taken seriously and get published, mm-hmm. or having their husbands publish their work. Mm-hmm. So she needs to type it up.
0: Yeah, she needs so, to type it up.
1: Yeah. That's
0: where you're, it, it's interesting, because you have this this old-world aesthetic, you know, everyone's in—the the gentlemen are all in— Old-timey suits. Ladies are all in frilly, poofy dresses.
1: Uh, The the costuming is gorgeous in this film. It's gorgeous. Um, I might not be the most girly girl, but oh, God, I love this. This and Amadeus... um, As far as films for dresses, I would watch that I enjoy all the dresses, almost as much as the dress made of drapes in Gone with the Wind, because that's my favorite dress of all time in all film. But this film, every single dress is beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah. Especially, I I love how Lucille dresses throughout the entire picture. It's just gorgeous. Such Mm -hmm. rich colors. So she wants to type things up and and get it out that way because like you said it, it, her writing is a tell and because she's a woman they're more interested don't you want to have a love story in this and she has no in, she's she has no interest in saying that, that things need to be romantic she's like it's a gothic story i want to tell my story my way but because i'm a woman they think that i need this component in it which is i can understand being incredibly frustrating i've been asked to insert romance into stories before when i don't mind writing romance uh if that's the story that i'm writing but if i'm telling you a different story i don't want to just arbitrarily shoehorn a relationship in it because that ticks a box for people
1: exactly i've never really done it either
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. except
1: for that romance story that i wrote that's published just now and is available at id press the hallucinor element of romance anthology Mm -hmm. i'm the third story in
0: I haven't read it yet, but I'm very interested. Yeah. Very interested to see what's in that squishy little heart of yours.
1: It's a love story with ghosts in it.
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Gothic, they call it.
1: Sadly, her father did give her a really nice pen. Probably because she has wonderful penmanship. She's even told she has wonderful penmanship, but I guess she won't be using it because she'll be typing Mm -hmm. this up instead.
0: And this is where we get an introduction to this baron that everyone's been talking about. The talk of the town, this man from england is showing up thomas shot. yeah thomas and he is tom hiddleston uh who you would know from well not you but other people would know from those thor movies no i he's, have no idea he, who this fucking man is yeah he's he's loki in the thor movies but he he's tom in this and thomas in this and she almost seems instantaneously smitten but you can tell from Once you've seen this movie already and you look back on his initial introduction with the character, you can tell that he's laying it on pretty thick. This is not an accidental encounter with this woman. He is not looking, picking up her manuscript instantaneously saying, like, wow, this is quite good. How many words of this could you have possibly read in that amount of time? You looked at a page. You looked at another page. Did you... You Johnny-fived it? You just fucking read the whole script? That's not possible. But he's saying, oh, well, I think this is uh, rather good, isn't it?
1: What I'm doing now is sweeping you off your feet. Is it working?
0: doesn't matter because I am. Yeah. It is kind of embarrassing that she does get – it works on her because initially it almost would be – I thought it was going to be more of a Taming of the Shrew type thing where she's not interested in this man whatsoever and he has to really coerce her. But just like a writer, you say one nice thing about what she's written, and all of a sudden, oh no, this guy's the greatest guy. I'm being a dick, but it is a weird element of the story once you realize that, no, he has studied, he knows who she is, this is a play.
1: Yeah, it is. You expect it to be a bit of a love triangle at this point between her and this new baronet, Thomas, and her pal, Alan, yeah, the yeah, ophthalmologist yeah. of the town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He,
0: and because and, and they, they, they throw away a line, it's like, he's rather spent with you. He's going to be at this party, which uh, Edith is not going to. Be-
1: no, she spends her night in my dreamland. Not the ball, <laughs> but a giant canopy bed that has way too many pillows and even more books spread upon it. Yeah. What she's basically doing is the 18th century version of Creeping's Facebook, <laughs> because she's reason- reading a gazette about his home Mm -hmm. and the area of Cumberland and Allendale Hall that he owns. And you had pointed out, it's a good thing that you're highborn or else you wouldn't have books printed about you. Yeah, it's true. Right. But it's, it is basically, she was basically fangirling and creeping and getting Mm -hmm. smitten and, and being creepy. Mm -hmm. And this, this culminates
0: to the fact that, you know, they, and he ends up visiting the house, they end up going to this party and there's weird, Subtle, probably very brazen for the time. Romance to me, it, it's it's very subtle. It's almost as if so. You 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 talked with her at our house for five minutes before a previous meeting that was probably just as long. You had a dance together, and now you're on the cusp of asking this woman to marry you and she would say yes that's the other thing it's not so much that i can almost picture a dude just being way too into a lady right away but the idea that he is going to ask her to marry him now again this is all a plot now initially uh, thomas is here to get some money because he's trying to build this machine Basically. And he
1: has a wonderful little miniature, <laughs> which is kind of cool because it plays into his hobby mm-hmm. as a doll maker and automaton maker. And yeah. he that's his hobby is making yeah. these tinker little tinkerer. toys. He's a mm-hmm. toy maker, which is so cool, I think. But it just adds another level later on in the film of like, oh, if this wasn't the most fucking goth thing you've ever seen in your life, we'll just goth it up a notch.
0: Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I love It's it. almost like a... a, a a backstory to the guy that would eventually build Edward Scissorhands like Vincent Price's character.
1: More or less, yeah. Like, if you were, had he lived.
0: Yeah, had he live? Spoiler. Yeah, had he lived and he grew old. This is where, oh, he eventually just makes Edward Scissorhands.
1: And that would be the perfect setting for it too. Well, wow, like, I like how you've just tied those two little worlds together, Wes. Thank you. I like that. Um, <laughs> now, his toy showing this mining operation that he wants to Make, he's tried to get it off the ground in Edinburgh, Milan, several places. He's approached several wealthy families in the past, it seems, to try and funds. Edith notices and points out to her father that, like, you know, his, you, you gotta see through this. This is a man that's so desperate and doesn't have much. His suit is 10 years old his shoes are super worn he might appear to come from money but he fucking doesn't so that's yeah. why he's scrounging like this and he it is more if anything he's passionate about it's this red clay that he can mine from under his family home
0: mm-hmm. the the ore is very precious it can make really good bricks and so especially in the united states at this point i mean it's 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 just the turn of the century and they're in buffalo it is it is an a, a place on the grow they are trying to expand their cities uh, th- Monorail. Monorail.
1: Monorail. 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 uh you said on the grow well, i'm so sorry <laughs> but this um red brick alone anyone familiar with pottery like i know our listeners are
0: yeah a lot of potheads out there sure
1: <laughs> Uh, Collingwood, Ontario is quite famous for the Blue Mountain pottery. You might have seen that sort of pottery with that blue and black sort of glaze to it. That's mm. the most common glaze. I prefer the red glaze. But uh, Blue Mountain pottery is made out of this same sort of ore where it's this um, really rich oxidized red clay. So mm-hmm. if you ever see that sort of pottery, flip it over, take a look if you can inside. If it's white clay or porcelain, it's false Blue Mountain pottery. If it's actually red clay, then it's uh, for real.
0: I am taken aback with how much I've just learned about pottery. Yeah.
1: Clay. You should ch- check out Blue Mountain pottery. Whenever you see any of that blue and black, you probably know what I mean. You I see do. I, 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 visually, I know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very common, highly collectible, very, very popular. It's the same sort of ore mm-hmm. that would be so anyone watching this and being like oh yeah sure there's like this blood red clay just oozing up from the ground sad to say it's totally accurate
0: totally accurate the sharp family is in severe eclipse it is a a dying dynasty basically just the sister
1: and thomas that's all that's left. They have no real money. They can hardly keep their house together, it seems. Mm-hmm. We'll meet the house shortly. But this invention is supposed to change all of that.
0: they, The family made their fortune with this clay, but due to overmining, which makes sense, especially in this period of time when it was just consume, consume, consume. Well, we're still in that phase, unfortunately. But when... They need this new device to dig deeper than they ever could before. Mm -hmm. And that will be a spring well of clay and thus wealth. Edith's father isn't feeling it. Not him. His proposal, although he's not feeling that either. There's something about Thomas himself that this man does not like. So he hires a private investigator. Shady fellow from New York. (laughs) He does look pretty shady. He looks very shady. And yeah, Carter Cushing... Eat his father discovers some information in a letter handed to him by this guy and and this this uh investigator from New York says bad news basically but we don't know what that bad news is but we do know eventually that he is going to at a dinner party br- uh, haul up Lucille and uh her brother Thomas and say the jig is up i know what you're doing We don't know precisely what is going on just yet, but here's the deal. I'm going to tell my daughter everything, which you have had a lot of private conversations with, and I know that you love her, quote-unquote air bunnies, but I'm going to cut you a check, and if you leave right now and break her heart, you get the check and the money will clear. If you don't, I'll expose you to my daughter and assumedly everybody uh, what your game is, and then you're finished. So they choose to just leave peacefully. Credits.
1: What I didn't get is why they have to make such a big thing about it at dinner. Like, why do they have to announce? Why didn't they just leave quietly? Social
0: formalities, I, I think. I think, I, I think to air it all out, to make sure everybody knows that he's leaving. So we can't just be, here's a private conversation I had with this person where him, my sister, and myself knew. Because at least, at the very least, it will force them to leave. And it kind of does.
1: Maybe it's just me being antisocial, where I'd rather just the uh, early exit, the Irish exit, they call it.
0: Yeah, you don't, you, where you just don't say anything and you leave. Yeah. Listen, I don't know all the social customs of an American aristocracy, so I really, I really can't tell you if it was common. I do know that everyone can waltz because you would be trained to do that, and I, and I know that. Everything from how you greet someone to how do you shake their hand to how you're dressed was exceedingly important with that much pageantry around just general social interaction. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine that it would be that uncommon to sort of say a farewell toast uh, if you were going to be leaving suddenly. But at, at any rate, he does or is about to. Cushion gets a pushing, though.
1: Cushion gets a pushing.
0: Yeah, right onto a sink.
1: Ah, oh, and it's such a tragic death too. And it's not like you know, it's not long and drawn out. It's just kind of bloody. It's not exceedingly bloody. Mm-hmm. It's shocking, but not you know the most shocking thing committed to film. I think it's just so many things about this death speak to me just the brutality of it all the fact that it was in this nice sacrosanct private place that was safe and comforting to this man mm-hmm. that his life is taken away and that they smash the sink it takes quite a lot to smash a sink like that mm-hmm. yeah it's very brutal and like you said a nice touch almost like the fountain effect of the water spilling out afterwards. i, I love that blood.
0: mixture of blood and water And we're going to see that a couple of times in this film, Mm -hmm. although it's not always going to be blood. I think that what this establishes very clearly and what a lot of first acts of violence in horror will establish for anybody, whether you're watching Reanimator or Evil Dead or Crimson Peak, uh, the first act of violence is to demonstrate to the audience what level of violence you are likely going to see. That's how come sometimes first kills are the most graphic. Yeah. And and, and then maybe later you'll have a, another set piece death. But this film could be any movie. We almost forget that we saw this skeletal black ghost in a veil earlier in the film. It's It seems like forever ago, 30 minutes and movie time, that's a lifetime. And now here we are again. It's all dresses and balls and candles and romance and... and, and uh, aristocracy aristocracy and, money. and money and mining. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's almost like fucking Pride and Prejudice. And then all of a sudden... You get
1: your skull bashed in.
0: You get your skull bashed in and, and you have a man crawling for his life on the floor while the grievous wound is bleeding profusely. His face into the sink full of water that is filled with blood. And now he is dead on the floor and it's a, a a fountain of blood, like a cherub vomiting on him is just painting the entire floor. And you say, okay, here we have arrived. We know what this film is going to show us in terms of its explicitness, which, and, and it's so artfully done that it really occupies that art gore space that mm-hmm. you like so much and I like so much yeah and uh, and and so like I think that this this scene is exactly as brutal as it needs to be and uh and I I just love it. I just think it's great.
1: Yeah, and you've already grown to feel for this character as a father because yeah. he's not wildly overprotective. There's yeah. nothing abs- there's nothing wrong with their relationship whatsoever. Yeah. And they he could have he he's already getting closer to a ripe old age. He'd have never wanted to hear me say that because apparently he didn't like aging.
0: No, he but was quite sensitive about it.
1: Yeah, they could have gone another twenty years with their lifestyle the way it is and mm-hmm. he'd just be a doting, loving old man, but they yeah. didn't get that
0: chance. He, he really he really was a good father and and also when you think oh my god he's such a dick to tom hiddleston well he was right yeah. and and he was it wasn't like he was irrationally paranoid he had a hunch he followed his gut and lo and behold he was right it will cost him his life though mm-hmm. and i think that to me the the best scene after that death is just the the fact with edith over his body and not wanting people to touch them and then talking about He's going to have a 60th birthday and she's in tears. And I was like, this seems like such an authentic reaction to her daughter st- or to her father still speaking as if he was going to ever celebrate a 60th birthday.
1: Trying to so, keep his body warm yeah. and like tucking his cold hand back yeah, yeah, in yeah. the blanket. And, and,
0: and saying, you know, he's sensitive about how he looks. That's why he dresses so well. It's just it's this it's this painful tidbits about my father that I know. And and I think to myself, I love this. This is great. This is such an authentic reaction to death and you fuck man even cleaned up that wound is awful. That, really awful that is awful then we skip in time a bit and when we're at the funeral she's wearing thomas's thomas sharp's ring
1: yeah because with dear old dad of the way there's nothing to stop him from giving the ring that had been on his sister's hand it was i guess Mm -hmm. their mother's Mm -hmm. that is now being passed down to his new fiance
0: yeah and then next thing we know boom we're up at the house in england and they are married and Mm -hmm.
1: he introduces his wife to the groundskeeper who says you've been married a long time Which is just like, huh?
0: (laughs) I like that there's little tells like that, that something is definitely up.
1: Even the conversation with Mr. Cushing before his untimely passing, Mm -hmm. he said a few little things that like, you know, because you love her, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because
1: that's where this is going, right? Because I know where this is going there, Mm -hmm. Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There are a few little tells that even if you're completely daft, you would kind of get what... Thomas's fucking con is.
0: Let me ask you this, we've we spent a little time with with Thomas's sister Lucille. Up to this point, what's your take? What's your initial take on this woman as
1: we introduce her before they're at the house? Before they're at the house, you know, I don't know. I like her. She's a perfect little sister. She just kind of like <laughs> hangs out in the shadows, hangs out in the background. You know, she's kind of like not too gentlewomanly. She's not too waspy. Mm-hmm. She's kind of cool.
0: Got a bit of an edge to her.
1: Bit of an edge to her. She likes well, to
0: talk about death. Last and...
1: name like sharp. I mean, who yes, doesn't true. have an edge? <laughs> that one kind of gets you between. eyes doesn't it Mm -hmm. that last name yeah i would say a little
0: bit distant but also you know putting on airs like she's fine with she can be cordial if she wants to but she definitely is not you know thomas is definitely the talker right even though she likes to talk But it's really more, I'll have a private one-on-one conversation where Thomas is always gaming you, right? Because he's always a salesman, right? He's trying to sell his weird fucking Willy Wonka contraption.
1: She is the brains behind the operation. And even Mr. Cushing, before his untimely passing, had honed in on that, went to and knew who to hand that check to. But she doesn't seem to be in the way of her brother's new marriage, really, mm-hmm. and even gave up the ring that was on her finger mm-hmm. so he could accommodate this hot cash injection. I mean hot beef no, they're not doing that either. So and um, I still like her.
0: I like her too. Yeah. I think that the, the 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 difference in her behavior once they're at the house is pretty noticeable though because she goes to almost it being very outwardly hostile towards Edith's character. Um and, and 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 you definitely get a sense that, oh, she doesn't like that she's at this house
1: whatsoever. You no, know, and you get the sense of of and she does play this part very well of like you are on her turf now and this is mm-hmm. her home and you're invading it.
0: Yeah. Even though Edith makes a lot of requests at the very beginning that the lady of the house would request, I need keys to the property. Mm-hmm. Fucking Lucille's got that dungeon master ring yeah. where she just has all of these keys. And she's like, no, Edith, this house is dangerous.
1: Much it- like a jailkeeper too. She does, mm-hmm. she does have that, that air yeah.
0: about her. And she definitely becomes a literal jailkeeper later on. So I think the the Iron Ring is is a nice touch,
1: and she always sort of has been on the actions of her brother in a way, because mm-hmm. he's a, all them, as much of a slave as anyone that's working outside in the yard. Mm-hmm. Because the the pit mine is basically in the yard. Yeah, this house. What do you got to say? There is there are parts
0: of this house that are clearly so ornate and so beautiful, so
1: aged, but it is dilapidated. Well, it's sinking into the the swamp basically that the mine is turning the surroundings into because the clay is coming straight up through the ground which is kind of belies the idea that they have to dig deeper to get to it but it is water slurry it's not really usable clay Mm -hmm. they need to find a vein of clay because clay grows like gold does Mm -hmm. in veins and they need to mine continue mining the vein of pure clay down what you're seeing is the swampy water Mm -hmm. right um more the dig out
0: that becomes vacant space and it fills with a slurry. So the strong foundation that this house would have once stood on is no longer there.
1: Yeah, like the uh, strip bar in the Moseyon Inn that had once been the Sweetwater Inn in North Bay, Ontario, had succumbed to the swamp around it and the insides were falling down. And there were some floors in, not in the bar area, but in other areas of the building that were falling in. Like the floorboards that... Thomas demonstrates when he pushes down with his foot and the mud just comes seeping up in between. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it looks like when a house is sinking into the swamp from whence it came. Mm-hmm. Um, the hole in the ceiling, though, picturesque.
0: mm you, get, you can have rain come down there and snow. The snow
1: is really pretty. And just the falling leaves, you know, it would be a nice installation. I wouldn't permanently want to live in a house so drafty. I honestly couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the house is big enough. And like Thomas says, how many rooms are there? I don't know. You want to count them? Because <laughs> he yeah. has no idea. The house is vast.
0: It looks like a palace.
1: Yeah. So I guess there would be like a wing that you could be safe in. But yeah. it is. it needs to be torn down.
0: Yeah, that was what I was thinking. When I was watching this, I was just thinking, man, you could, what would you do? You can't really reset the foundation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could try to have the house moved, but what's the point? I would just bulldoze the whole fucking thing.
1: For the size of it, you could probably move a wing mm-hmm. and set it on a fresh foundation up on a hill mm-hmm. and probably be okay. Sell off a whole bunch of those antiques. and. hmm demolish what's there i don't know whatever we wouldn't have the crimson peak story we wouldn't we crimson wouldn't
0: peak especially when you you this place what it really is is the last of this family just hiding in their legacy basically
1: which you know really cements it at home with the gothic love story there mm. is madness contained within this building and people are trapped not only by the elements because what he said there was is 50 miles to the nearest town or something Mm -hmm. um that's what because she's wondering where the dog came from yeah yeah because there's a little puppy dog there's a little red ball that he plays with that's on the ground so she ends up keeping this dog but he says like there's no one around and they're about to get snowed in for the winter too Mm because winter is coming Mm -hmm. this is near when he mentions offhandedly that this house is Known as Crimson Peak, because in the winter, when the winter does hit, the red clay stains the snow surrounding mm-hmm. that hillside in what looks like blood red snow. Mm-hmm.
0: And this harkens back to her, not only her childhood memories, but she had a secondary warning that occurred when her mother's spirit warns her against going to a place called crimson peak now that doesn't mean anything to her so if anything it just becomes just a nonsense thing and maybe a a hallucination she thought that she had this it was a dream and then all of a sudden now he's verbalizing a, a phrase that she has known since childhood and that
1: sets things off up until now she just knew it as allendale hall Mm -hmm. so it didn't mean anything to her but Mm -hmm. and it's funny because
0: a lot of this is coming back to there edith is uh is definitely in a state in which this is all she has now she even will say that (laughs) but uh, thomas just spends most of his time just apologizing for everything apologizing the water here it bleeds red until it goes clear this place is drafty there's a hole in the roof the the the, the foundation is sinking there's uh, this, the the wind gets in, it creates a vacuum, and it wails through the halls, and everything just groans and creaks, and here's your tea, and it's bitter because nothing pleasant here grows. It is just this-
1: There's bugs everywhere, and there's walls, bugs on every wall, and dead flies everywhere.
0: Yeah, and it really is a place where, that's not what she's accustomed to. She, as much as she may have disliked it or not found it very important, she comes from a place where a well-kept house many servants, people, parties, social gatherings, they're they're around nobody.
1: And even if they were, this place is so dilapidated, you can't host anything here. No, it's just through her writing that she made a life of leisure such hard work. Mm -hmm. You know, she wouldn't have noticed because she didn't look up past her glasses very Mm -hmm. often to notice how lucky she was, mm-hmm. yeah, and now, with him apologizing for everything and then eventually calling himself a failure, and mm-hmm. that's when she points out that don't say that, you're all I have,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> not just refuting not... the fact that you're kind of a failure, mm-hmm. but he's continuously working on this. Meanwhile, Lucille is just tending to eat us every need, lots of tea, lots of tea,
1: lots of tea. everything's answered with a cup of tea,
0: but she's English, so that helps,
1: yeah, makes sense, but I mean, just cool it with the tea, would you?
0: Well, she would like to cool it with the tea, but the tea is evil tea.
1: It is evil tea. And any fans of Shirley Jackson will recognize this and I like this from a lot of things, but one thing that really speaks to me, we have always lived in the castle. And in we've always lived in the castle. It's a tale of two sisters that live in a house that is falling apart, much like Crimson Peak. and they can't leave, don't leave, won't leave. They only really have one another. It's not uh, the same sort of relationship that Lucilla and Thomas have at all. But um, they are trapped within their own madness, trapped by their own treachery, and it has a lot to do with poison. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: There's some poisonous stuff going on in this house, though. Not just the poison tea, but also the fact that Edith is noticing things. There's a a strange steamer trunk in the sub-basement, which she wasn't really allowed to go to, with all
1: these cisterns of red clay everywhere. It technically has her initials on it, because she is the new ES of the house. She is. She is. But it says Enola on it.
0: It says Enola, and it seems to be locked. Now, there is a key on lucille's key ring that says enola on it but not only is that suspicious but there was a strange letter that came from italy
1: yeah she didn't open it right away she was a little distracted actually because when they went into town to get the mail because it's not as much you know we're going to post boxes here in canada they're stopping home delivery eventually so we'll all have post boxes again which is great But they have to go to the post box, which is 100 fucking miles away. Mm -hmm. And they end up getting snowed in when they do it. Mm -hmm. Such is life.
0: Such is life. But But that way that she can get her hot marital dicking.
1: Yeah, finally. Because they haven't had the marital dicking, as you call it. Mm -hmm. Um, um,
0: Sexual compatibility is a huge component.
1: Kind of a pain when you got this sister kind of like... Larking around, being yeah. a bug, interrupting every time you try and get busy with some fucking tea. But she was grieving, and that's how she sort of explains it away to herself. Mm-hmm. That Thomas was very respectful of her grieving. We only know that they haven't gotten it on because the sister asks, basically, yeah. kind of. But she seems to know her way around the male anatomy.
0: She definitely does. She was a she was a learned young woman, and she got that weird. A Japanese variation of the Karma Sutra book from Lucille.
1: Yeah, Lucille seems to be pushing the, the porn, but um, they seem very suited to one another.
0: Mm-hmm. This yeah, husband yeah.
1: and wife team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty cute sex scene. Um, Lucille is not very happy that they ended up being snowed in for the night. Though. Oh, man.
0: Talking about raining in your madness, she smashes that pot and then says that she was worried because... You were—you didn't come home all night. You were lost in the storm, and I thought something terrible
1: happened to you. Yeah, lies. You were jealous as dick. But Jesus Christ, this is why Edith was so distracted away from reading the letter that was basically addressed to her. But she didn't know anyone in Italy, so what the hell? How would this? Who is writing her from Italy? Uh, But it does just say E sharp, Mm -hmm. so it is actually destined for Enola.
0: It is. Yeah. Now she eventually reads. This stuff and also gets a bunch of stuff from that steamer trunk because she eventually does pilfer the the key from Lucille. In
1: kind of a sneaky little bit. And it's very Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, which is actually mentioned earlier mm-hmm. of this um, Sherlock Holmes stuff but it is very sneaky crap that's going on.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She
1: sneaks the key away, goes down, just barely gets away with sneaking all the papers, feigns exhaustion, asks <laughs> for a cup of tea of all things, because little does she know, and then sneaks the key back on the key ring. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love her. I love Edith. Edith is very good.
0: Now, what we get is a lot of information here. Now, what this seems to be is what her father knew. and. Back in America, Alan is learning what we already know, and that is that Thomas is already married. What? Gasp! Mm-hmm. He's had a couple of wives, as what? a matter of fact. Gasp! And each one of them headed to an early grave.
1: Oh wow, that part I expected. Um, now, what do you think of this like library scene? Because it basically is—it's one, it's second most fun scene aside from. Aside from Alan showing her these neat ghostly images that he's collected, which is the neatest thing. I We used to have some old photos on glass, like this silver halide on glass. So I really love that scene. But one thing we never had in my family was these wax cylinders.
0: The wax cylinders are a nice touch. I really like them. The first time I ever saw them was, I think, in the BBC made for TV adaptation of woman in black yeah that was the I, where I had really thought to myself oh what are these and you know you do a little research and, and you say oh they recorded on wax cylinders it was almost like I found out the other day that old calendar uh, old calculators from the 1960s had uh, piano wire that auditorily kept memory by the tone of the ping of the piano wire fascinating stuff that is fascinating yeah stuff. but But this is what she uses. It's a lot of expository thing. Now, some of it is... uh, A lot of it is uh, Enola and uh, Thomas talking. And just being... It's almost like they were doing an obnoxious variation, turn-of-the-century variation of an answering machine message where it's like, It's Thomas, it's Enola, we're two of a kind. Oh, God. And, 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 like, leave the message after the beep. Except he's just singing a little nursery rhyme. Now, it's the information of... Enola saying, I'm being poisoned, it's in the tea, if anyone finds this, they're killing me, I can't get away, I hear them coming, etc, etc.
1: Which is wonderful that uh, someone in this house is crazy enough, not only did they do this crime, mm-hmm. they kept the evidence, mm-hmm. and and it labeled the evidence, because this isn't the only girl, it all wasn't the only woman that met this same fate, um, there's like very neatly kept envelopes that sort of record the death, life and death of each of these wives. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Someone in the house is this crazy.
0: Someone in the house is this crazy. And, of course, we know that uh, throughout all of this, there are visions of specters, spooks and specters. Really and
1: wonderfully acted.
0: Really wonderfully acted. This is a lot of uh, combination of of live action and CGI And the thing that's very important to to realize is not every single one of these ghosts is the same ghost. We are seeing a multitude of spirits that reside in this house, past wives and a mother.
1: Yeah, in the tub. That's probably the the most fun ghost Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it also reminds me of the princess ghost from 13 Ghosts because she hangs out in the tub too. Um, Or in The Shining You got Mm -hmm. a nice ghost in the tub there. Mm -hmm. Ghosts in tubs. Yeah. My favorite ghost. Now, this one has a giant, fucking giant cleaver in its head.
0: It does. And it looks like that probably hurt.
1: Yeah, it probably
0: did. Now, the last straw for her comes from the fact, you know, I, I know I'm being poisoned. I'm trying to not drink the tea anymore. Thomas is having second thoughts ever since they slept together. He seemed to waver anyways, but Lucille's fear is that Thomas is legitimately falling in love with this woman because he's treating her and doing things that they hadn't done before. Beforehand, it was all for the money, and they need Edith to finalize the documents to uh, to bring her family's assets officially under the sharp control
1: which isn't the most important thing to him as soon as that machine outside the mining machine really starts working perfectly flawlessly and their you know fucking dreams will come true his first thought is oh my gosh i gotta show edith Mm -hmm. and that really pisses lucille off
0: yeah and and you can start to understand that this relationship is she is far more jealous of the attention that edith gets than anything else Whatever other murderous plot that they might have, this seems to be really sticking in her craw. And what we have now is Edith walking in on the two. Well, old Thomas is basically just getting a handy, Jay.
1: Yeah. It's like, you know, you want to kind of explain it away because you want to be like, well, they're brother and sister. Maybe they kiss sometimes and maybe things were like they've been alone a lot. And and her maybe. hands are right down yeah, his pants. It's, it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. absolutely disgusting. And, it, you know, if you had any question, it's answered right there.
0: Yeah. She thinks and and she, uh, Edith, perhaps naively says, you're not his sister. You're one of the you're his real wife.
1: And, and I'm his sister.
0: Yeah, she's like, no, 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 no. I'm his sister. Yeah, and she pitches her ass off this fucking uh, balcony. What do you like? like
1: it's a huge balustrade. Like, yeah, that's right. And it goes off from one wing to the other, and it it rings the downstairs. Um, But, like, it looks like a cuckoo clock. They totally look like the best cuckoo clock ever. And I wish that, you know, Thomas is a toy maker. He can make me this cuckoo clock. Um, Where just every hour she just comes up behind Edith and pushes her over. And she falls and almost breaks her back on the next story down. And then lands underneath the giant hole in the ceiling.
0: Yeah, very picturesque. And not a minute too soon. She hits this fucking railing like a ton of bricks. And you would not be surprised If, oh, she's just dead. That thing probably snapped her spine as she hit it. Because she seems so, this is a woman that is not hale and hearty, right? She's been poisoned already. And then she falls 20 feet at least onto a banister and then hits. I'm assuming, oh, the snow broke her fall. But now-
1: Knock, knock, knock.
0: Knock, knock, knock. Here's fucking Alan at the door. Yeah. He made the four-hour trek from the United States to England.
1: Not four hour track. I mean the four hour <laughs> track from London to Crimson Peak. Yeah, on point, I don't know yeah. how long it took him on a steamer across the fucking ocean. Yeah. But he's
0: there proof. He's he's there and he's the only one and good thing because he's there to tend to eat us wounds. He knows what's up. He knows what's everything. He's putting on airs.
1: I like that he's smart enough to be like, oh, yeah, no, I just stopped by. And they're like, oh, it's a good timing because she was sick and we, were, we didn't know what to do. So everyone's like swallowing each other's fucking lines here. Yeah. But he says to Edith, I'm going to get you out of here. Mm-hmm. And
0: as he tries to do that, that's where shit breaks pretty bad. This is where Lucille is going into the old rhythm of it all. We find out fully that... These two mother died pretty graphically. And Thomas was 12. Lucille is a couple years older.
1: 14. And, you know, Thomas's story made sense. Lucille's not so much. Thomas went off to school and she went somewhere.
0: An institution of some kind.
1: Some kind.
0: This is a woman who killed her mother, who she hated, She hated her mother and it really felt like her and her brother against the world to her. Her brother is her entire world. And this place, this dilapidated crumbling building was their, you know, ancestral home. This is where they belong. This is their place. And she has no problem killing whatsoever, and she makes it clear that she does the killing. Not only did she kill Edith's father with her bare fucking hands, to let you know that this woman is fully capable of killing, and she's been doing all the killing for the most part. Thomas, at this point, is not interested in this charade anymore and wants to not do this killing. He says as much to her in several, or at least one major occasion, while Lucille is playing the piano, but It's all for naught. And he has to put on airs, too. Now, she not only stabs Alan in the armpit, like, really getting up in there. And I was trying to think, huh, I feel like she'd be better at murder than this. But maybe she tried to pierce his lung. Um,
1: Maybe she tried to do it sneakily. Yeah, yeah, She's trying to, like, sneak that knife into his heart from under his arm.
0: Kills that fucking dog like she's Patrick Bateman. Yeah. And then uh, Thomas is saying to Alan, you're a doctor. It's it's me or it's her and it's- Yeah,
1: she's going to kill you if I don't and she's forcing me to. So where do I stab where you? Where do I stab you that it's not lethal? Basically. See, that's what I didn't get upon watching this. Like I thought I really thought he was asking him, "Where do I stab you to put you out of your misery fast because I just yeah. want this over and you need yeah. to die and you're going to die so like where should I stab you mm-hmm. where it will work?" But I guess the doctor, whether he meant that or not, mm-hmm. which he didn't. He did want to preserve him the doctor being like oh yeah yeah stab me here in the other yeah. guy yeah. <laughs> i'll fucking yeah. fix me um so yeah he doesn't die
0: no yeah he seems to miss all major organs and then and in, in disposing of the body to bring him down to the clay
1: well they would normally just put them in the cistern and hide the body forever because there are bodies in these cisterns They are, yeah you know, spoiler alert with her heads bashed in yeah. lovely yeah. it's her favorite place to hit
0: Really, really seems to be... And at this point, uh, it's it's all kind of downhill, and Lucille is going into the motion. She clips a bit of Edith's hair, and she talks about the fact that this baby that uh, was born and there was a death photo of um, wasn't enola's it was lucille's and you know there's something wrong with it i guess and they
1: well the brother and sister i mean that's why these laws are in place not because it squicks people out mm-hmm. because there are hereditary problems with mm-hmm. commingling bloodlines yeah and it's not just like and people that aren't related cannot have children mm-hmm. or have children with very very debilitating disfigurements because they're just not compatible their rh is not compatible mm-hmm. So you don't need to be me- <laughs> brother and sister to have a wrong child. I mean, True. there are there are there's much to medical science to breeding, which people just normally don't pay attention to, and I wish
0: people would. Yeah, yeah, I think that. It would be definitely good to know, but this is the information that we have. It's all lit on the table. That's okay. why
1: the Mormons track back so much. That's why they're the the fount of genealogical research at the Church of Latter-day Saints. They do a lot of that to make sure that people are going to be procreating properly. And that's the one, you know, high five I give to the Church of Latter day Saints.
0: I used to think it was Latter day Sakes when I was a kid. Oh yeah? Yeah. I always say Ah, for Latter day Sakes. For Latter day Sakes. I don't know. I just was a dumb kid. Anyways, so the plot at hand is Thomas is got to tell his sister. He's like, listen, man, all this madness has to end. We can go away. We can leave. And she seems into it. Let's leave this fucking place. Who cares about this? We, we all can go anywhere. Uh-oh. He said all.
1: And she'd already pointed out when she was snipping off Edith's hair that love makes monsters of us all. It's one of the more famous lines of this film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and here she goes full monster. She goes full monster. This is where I fall in love with Lucille. When she stabs him with a dinner fork, essentially. Yeah. A couple times in the chest and then once right below the fucking eye. It's great. It's so... Ugh. And you see the bloodshotness of his eye. You see him pull it out. You see the tear of blood go down his face as he finally just succumbs he dies i think the
1: whole point of that whole death was just so that he could cry blood if you want to get any more goth i mean i think the goth mostly ends here but yeah yeah and that's where
0: lucille uh, i love this reaction of she was so angry and this is a woman who kills has killed many times before will kill again and when she is this upset her Instinct is to kill, and it's almost she comes out of her. It's like you know, no one wants to come and then come to their senses. This is exactly what happens. She kills them and then realizes what she's done and is mortified by it. And then all of this rage, this pent up rage, this sorrow for what she has done. This whole, her whole world has just died, mm-hmm. and now that is all hyper focused on Edith, while Edith is. Running for her life now. She went to go rescue Alan, and I love this reversal of it starts off with Alan carrying her Like hero style. I'm gonna rescue I'm getting you out of here cut to 10 minutes later in the movie And now Edith is the one that has to I'm getting you out of here BT dubs Edith's foot. I'm pretty sure is broken. She has been ingesting poison for weeks and she has been cut across the face. She's bleeding. Like she is Oh,
1: yeah. She's weakened, injured, shocked, everything.
0: Yeah. And now it's basically, I guess we have to leave this place on foot with Alan. And that is where Lucille, hiding her shit in the floorboards, like yeah, she's Michael yeah. Myers. Like she's, <laughs> She brings out the meat cleaver. This meat cleaver is my religion. I love this meat cleaver. And meat cleaver I trust. It's so big and so cartoony. You say it's.
1: Itch- I thought the scissors and the slit mouth woman were your religion.
0: Listen, man, I am a man of many faiths, and they all are shiny
1: and sharp. And oversized, because this is the biggest meat cleaver I've ever seen in my oh, life. Oh, my God. And she looks fucking cool as hell. It's she- like the great knife. Like... Oh version yeah, version of a meat cleaver.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. It's her Vorpal blade. She is just ready to like fucking kill the Jabberwocky. Which I'm making some references because this was Alice in Alice in Wonderland. Uh, Edith, the actress. So you got Lucille covered in blood. You have Edith getting up into the snow. The whole bottom of her dress is it's clay. Yeah, and they'd
1: already shown earlier when she's trying to hide the fact that she was traipsing around downstairs and she has this red clay on her shoes. It does look like mucky blood. Mm -hmm. So there is mucky blood everywhere. There's blood Mm -hmm. staining the snow entirely everywhere. Every inch of the landscape is tainted Mm -hmm. with what looks like blood splatter Mm -hmm. already, let alone these women that are already basically covered in blood.
0: Lucille gives the clear statement, I won't stop until I kill you or you kill me. And this is where... I I bring this point up a lot. I know I talked about it when we talked about movies like The Loved Ones, etc. But I love watching people fight that are prepared to kill and also who are not afraid to die. Mm -hmm. Because you see the most brutal stuff coming out of... I love this fight. I love the fact that Edith has a a big kitchen knife. It's almost like a machete that she has, a a little bit smaller. Fucking Lucille has this glorious meat cleaver and she just grabs edith's blade with her bare hands blood pouring out of her fingers and tears it out of her hands i'm like that's what i'm talking about
1: yeah because you know the way that the blade is tapered it's gonna stop on bone and she's gonna be able to get a grip on
0: it oh yeah oh my god that is a person that just doesn't give a fuck anymore she's lost everything what does she care and Much like this, uh, much like in a lot of gothic storytelling, this classic deus es machina of there's the here's a ghost to distract what would certainly be Edith's death.
1: And you would really think that she is just toying with Lucille's mind because she Mm -hmm. says, Help me. And Lucille says, There's no one here to help you. And she says, Yeah, behind you. Mm -hmm. He's right there. Which you know, you, you think she's just playing on her insecurity mm-hmm. and her, um, you know, really profound attraction to her own brother. But he is mm-hmm. right there. And
0: wanting him. him to be there because that would mean he's not dead. Yeah. Oh, is my brother here? Oh, sweet. Then at least. Then that- I
1: can just kill you and still fuck him. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it is, it is Thomas. But he is this pale, yellowish specter. The wound on his head is sort of billowing out this ethereal blackness. That's the distraction that Edith needs. And she bludgeons Lucille to death with a shovel. Yeah, lovely stuff. Yeah, tough talks her body. Heard you the first time when yeah. Lucille said that, I won't stop.
1: And like she doesn't make that like a one-liner, like a hero one-liner so much it fits into the script properly. A mm. lot of stuff that's in here that, that is more contemporary fits into the Mm -hmm. script. Like when Lucille says they didn't fuck my brother, Mm -hmm. uh, referring to the other wives, why she didn't hate them quite so much. Mm -hmm. Um, she hates her, especially because they fucked. And using the word fuck is not out of context whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And they, it isn't thrown out in a sensationalized manner either. It really fits. Mm-hmm. So I, I really do like the very sexy way that this whole story is written. Mm-hmm. And the very sexy delivery of her final hero one-liner.
0: Yeah. It's 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 really a, a, a classic tragic love story. And, and it doesn't make you roll your eyes once. It doesn't make you think that any of this is inauthentic. You see the madness that love and passion can bring. And also, under the backdrop of this gorgeous locale mm-hmm. and this gorgeous costuming, there's ghosts that are present but not germane to the plot because they essentially act as voices from the past to give information. They're a metaphor. They're a metaphor. They're a warning. Mm-hmm. And... And then, the, but the house itself becoming this gateway, almost seeming like this permanent gateway between the world of the living and the gothic world of night, um, where if you die in this house, you seem to be trapped in this purgatory. And. Everyone who dies here becomes a spirit. I don't know if there's a ghost dog, but there is both there Luc- is now. Lucille becomes a woman in black. She's very playing the piano, almost skull-like in her appearance. And we know that Thomas is there as a this tragic, sad specter. Um, look what his life has wrought, and and a lifetime of just going along with what his sister wants. Has, you know, his greatest ambition was for his invention to work and save his family's name, and it all falls apart.
1: I wonder if the mining equipment would have worked properly and they would have regained a financial footing if he would have stopped fucking his sister or put her in um, an institution Mm -hmm. because she's knucking futz. (laughs) Like, really fucking crazy, crazier than most uh, people who are the center point of gothic romance
0: very very crazy and i think that the level of violence between uh, watching her kill thomas so it's so passionate it, it is it is she is so angry and wounded about the fact that he is in love with edith he says as much i didn't mean to but it happened mm-hmm. and that's all she needs to hear and then just all of that rage towards edith just when she's going down that old iron elevator and she is just swiping that knife like a wild animal, mm-hmm. it's great and it's not over the top. It's not, she's not a screeching banshee where you just think, Oh my god, this actress does not know how to handle this. This is completely believable, and that fever pitch of madness only lasts so long and then it is calm and calculating. She is on the hunt, she's got her weapon of a choice handy, dandy meat cleaver and and she is just i am resolved to kill you and and that's all this is
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and I will deal with the grief later because right now i have a job to do and that is to butcher you i've done it
1: yeah like how the the whole story really boils down to this last scene of these two extremely strong and very smart women. It's just a shame that one of them is so fucking crazy mm-hmm. that it's mm-hmm. dangerous and poisonous mm-hmm. i love
0: yeah. I love people being survivors, and also I love to just show how much damage the human body can take and keep going
1: and it'd be realistic too. Mm -hmm. like you know you could nitpick about the way that she hit that banister when she fell down from one story to the floor but like yeah people survive stranger things Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. it is a really wonderful christmas movie
0: christmas movie that's right yeah
1: i'd been introduced to this movie uh chris had waited for a very long time i think he went to see it in theater i'm pretty sure he did uh, I had meant to see it in theater when it was coming out because it was being shown all around Christmas and it will forever be a Christmas movie, let alone the the ghost story tradition of the UK. Uh, this coming out around Christmas, my mother was very ill and had passed away while this was coming out and I kept meaning to want to see it, but I was too... I was respectful of my own grief at the time. Mm -hmm. And not that I didn't do things that were enjoyable. We recorded our Flatliners episode, which is also, Mm -hmm. uh, it's a Halloween movie of all things, but Mm -hmm. it feels like a Christmas movie because there's snow. My mother's death had kept me from seeing this film. And it wasn't because it was scary or sad. It's because it's something I really would have wanted to see with her. Yeah. Because she and I wanted to see this this movie. This is a very my mom movie. Mm -hmm. So when I finally did watch it, my mom had a candle. I still have it. It's on the table now. It's a big pillar candle, and I had burnt it while sorting her things the day after she died, and and all of a sudden I could smell burnt hair. Which was when I had lit it. There was a piece of her hair on it, and I could. The room had smelled with that that acrid, very unmistakable scent of burnt hair. Mm-hmm. And just as I finished watching this movie for the first time, it was about two or three weeks after my mom had passed away all I could smell was burnt hair filling the house and I was like well for one thing I know I just watched a a ghost story that's really profoundly about ghosts coming back Mothers. Uh, Mothers. And it's a movie my mom would have really liked. Maybe. I know I'm not that impressionable. And I know I'm not crazy. So it just struck me as very strange. But the the scent filled the house. And there was no hair on it. There was no, you know, hair burning in the house. And I went upstairs. It seemed to get stronger up there. And all of a sudden it disappeared. The smell of burning hair does not just disappear. Lingers. It does linger. But the smell entirely disappeared. Uh, i came back downstairs the the candle didn't smell like it It smells kind of vanilla it doesn't smell like burnt hair so i could never really explain it other than maybe some sort of presence or maybe my synapses had misfired Mm. one of the two things
0: yeah you just strongly associate that and i have things like that in my life too that yeah, I, I watch something and I think, oh man, my dad would have loved this movie. Oh, if only he could have seen this one, because he would have really, really
1: liked it. And a scent can trigger memory. Memory can trigger scent. I'm yeah. not. Uh, I don't think that the the human body is that infallible. Mm-hmm. But it was so strong. It mm-hmm. was so strong that it, I'm taken aback even still. But yeah, so that's my ghost story. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and Crimson Peak should be all of our ghost story. I agree. But what do we got next for him? We're heading into, as we did a Guillermo del Toro film without Ron Perlman in it, we're doing a Ron Perlman film with no del Toro. We are doing a Larry Fessenden film called Last Winter. The Last Winter is probably my number one most favorite winter film. I watch The Thing typically when it starts getting cold. I watch The Shining. I now watch Crimson Peak when it's getting cold because I just... I fucking hate the cold, right? And I need things Mm. to help me cope. And these films really do it for me. I don't watch Christmas movies. I mean, Elf would be the closest thing, but I don't like own Elf. And I don't go out of my way to watch Elf. I mean, if I was forced to watch a Christmas movie, it would probably have to be Elf if I had to.
0: That's an interesting pick. I never would have thought that for you.
1: I think it's mostly that he shows no fear when he's in a revolving door. And I have a deep-seated fear of revolving doors,
0: it's crazy to me what that movie has started to mean to people. I, I When I first saw Elf, and I was just like, oh, my God, like another Will Ferrell weird comedy. But it's really stuck with people. And it has become a Christmas staple for a lot of family, especially I got young people in my family. And yeah. that's, you know, I got to stop thinking about everything in terms of if it's not from the if it's not older than the 80s, it doesn't count.
1: Elf, I think part of my appeal with Elf is I didn't expect it to be so creepy. It is fucking creepy. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. It's creepy to see a grown man try and fit into all these toddler things and someone be that sold on Christmas. And then when I I do know some people that like Christmas that much, Mm -hmm. that much, as much as Buddy the Elf, they like Christmas that much. And that's fucking creepy. Mm -hmm. Like there is something deeply wrong with this man. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like about this movie. (laughs) <laughs> but we're not doing Elf. We're doing the Last Winter. It doesn't mm-hmm. have Will Ferrell in it. Thank fucking God. It's got Ron Perlman, who is way better looking.
0: I've never seen this flick, so I'll be interested. Wes is going in cold. I'm going in super cold. I'm going in as cold as winter. And you're going in uh, fucking Alaska cold. Because mm-hmm.
1: that's where we're going is Alaska.
0: And then after that, don't fret because we do have a Christmas episode coming up.
1: Elf with Elf. Will Ferrell. With no.
0: Will Ferrell, we're not doing just fucking Elf set to black metal.
1: We'll do Elf and uh, Puss in Boots. There we go. Yeah, to warm it up a little.
0: (laughs) We are doing Christmas Evil.
1: Which is a great Christmas pick. I like that a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'll be excited to revisit this film. I haven't watched it since my original SplatterPictures.net review of it way back when I first started.
1: Because Santas are creepy, too, you know? Santas are very creepy. Everything about Christmas is creepy.
0: Yeah, it's very, very creepy. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. So we'll be going from exceedingly bloody and heart wrenching to cold and terrifying and questioning and bleak to maybe not so campy, but creepy. Very creepy, sad. I think that I I think Black Christmas was the last creepy, sad. Uh, very Christmassy horror film, Christmas horror proper mm. that we did.
0: It It is true. I, I do like to hit this stuff up uh, as much as possible. And also, because I love Christmas so much, the reason why we do Christmas episodes is because I insist on it, as I said before, because I'm a big softy and I love Christmas horror. Um, I'm also going to be doing a Christmas special for Panels of Blood. And we're going to be reading... Krampus.
1: Which is awesome to me. I really, really enjoyed that pick when Wes told me. I got doubly excited.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that it'll be, it's going to be one story, one shot. It's going to be a long sit. So, you know, get comfortable or listen to it in bits.
1: There's a lot of, so there's a lot of winter stuff. Like Christmas aside, there's a lot of winter horror coming Mm -hmm. up. So
0: freeze. At any rate, I guess that's it.
1: And don't drink the tea.
0: And don't drink the tea. That's all we need to know.
1: Yeah. I'm Wes Knight. I'm Typical Lydia.
0: And you've been sipping on dead air.